Encyclical Letter, Etsy Nos, on Conditions in Italy, February 15th, 1882, by Pope Leo Thirteenth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Algie Pug Encyclical Letter of Pope Leo Thirteenth To the Archbishops, Bishops, and Other Ordinaries of Italy Venerable Brothers, Health and Apostolic Benediction Although in the authority and wide extent of our apostolic office we embrace with all possible vigilance and love the whole Christian commonwealth and every part thereof, nevertheless, for the moment, it is Italy that takes up our thoughts and our anxiety. These thoughts and this anxiety reach far deeper than the human aspect of things. We are anxious and solicitous about the eternal salvation of souls, and so much the more so, as the dangers are greater to which they are exposed. If this danger was ever great in Italy, it never was greater than at this moment, when the political situation is so utterly opposed to the well-being of religion. And we are the more deeply moved, because we are bound to Italy by ties of a most special kind. For in Italy, God has placed the home of his vicar, the chair of truth, and the centre of Catholic unity. Already, on more than one occasion, have we uttered warnings to the Italian people, and bidden each one look carefully to himself and to his own duty in these days of danger. But now, venerable brothers, as the evil grows worse, we would earnestly desire you yourselves to take diligent note of it, to observe how matters are tending, and to adopt all possible means to guard and strengthen the faithful, lest they be robbed of that most precious of all their possessions, their Catholic faith. A pernicious sect, whose leaders do not care to disguise their purposes, have, for many years, been established in Italy. They have declared war on Jesus Christ, and they are doing their utmost to strip the Italian people of their Christian institutions. How far the impudent attempts have succeeded, there is no need to mention here. You can see with your own eyes in how many ways religion and morality have suffered. In this Italy, which has ever remained firm and loyal to its immemorial faith, the Church's liberty is everywhere diminished, and every day more strenuous attempts are being made to efface from her institutions and her public life that form and character of Christianity which have always so justly been the glory of the Italian people. The religious have been driven out of their convents, the property of the Church has been seized, marriage without religious rights has been sanctioned, and the Church has been deprived of all share in the education of the young. The bitter and lamentable war against the apostolic see has not ceased or moderated, and still the Church is in distress, and the Roman pontiff in extreme difficulties. Being stripped of his civil princedom, he has necessarily fallen under the power of another. The city of Rome, most august of Christian cities, continues exposed to all the enemies of the church, and is polluted with every impious novelty, heretical temples and schools rising in every direction. 
it is understood that this year she is to give hospitality to the delegates and leaders of the sect that is most hostile to Catholicism, which is here to meet in council. It is abundantly evident why they have chosen this city for their place of meeting, to gratify their hatred of the church by insulting her, and to bring the flames of war still nearer to the Roman pontiff by defying him in his very sea. No one doubts that the church will, in the end, rise victorious over all the efforts of the wicked. But it is, none the less, a certain fact that their purpose is to smite the church and her head, and, if possible, to stamp out religion itself. It would indeed seem almost incredible that those who profess to love Italy should harbour such designs, for Italy, if she lost the Catholic faith, would lose also her most fruitful source of blessing. If Christianity has been, to all nations, their strongest safeguard, the guardian of their laws, and the protectress of all justice, if it has held in check blind and rash cupidity, and promoted all that is right, praiseworthy, and great, if it has bound together, in complete and lasting harmony, the different orders of the Commonwealth and the various members of the State, if it has done this for other nations, then in still more abundant measure has it conferred these benefits on Italy. There are many, far too many, so perverse as to repeat that the Church is an obstacle to the welfare and the development of the State, and to set down the Roman pontificate as inimical to the prosperity and the greatness of Italy. The truth is that Italy owes it to the Roman pontiffs that her glory has gone abroad to distant peoples, that she has sustained the repeated attacks of barbarians, that she has repulsed the dreaded Turk, that she has so long preserved in so many things her just and lawful liberties and enriched her cities with so many immortal works of art. And it is not the least of the services of the popes that the various provinces of Italy, differing as they do in character and in customs, have been kept united by a common faith and a common religion, and free from the most fatal of all sources of discord. In many times of danger and calamity, Italy would have been nigh unto perishing had it not been for the popes. And if not prevented by human perversity, the Roman pontificate will be as great a blessing to her in the future as it has been in the past. The beneficent power of Catholicism is immutable and perpetual because it is inherent and essential. As the Catholic religion knows no limits of space or time, when the interests of souls are concerned, so is it everywhere and at every moment prepared to further the well-being of states and peoples. When these good things depart, evil things take their place. For those who reject the teachings of Christianity, whatever they may say themselves, are enemies of the commonwealth. Their doctrines tend directly to dangerous popular excitement and to unrestrained license and cupidity. In matters of knowledge and science, they repudiate the divine light of faith. And without faith, men, as a rule, err grievously and are blind to the truth, and, with difficulty, escape the degradations of materialism. In matters of morality, they reject the everlasting and unchangeable rule of right, and despise God, the supreme giver of laws and avenger of wrong. And thus morality has no foundation or sanction, 
and each man's will becomes his law. In public affairs, their boasted liberty quickly becomes license, and where there is license, there are turbulence and disorder, the worst plagues of the state. Never have cities and states been reduced to such a condition of horror and of misery as when such men and such teachings have for a time prevailed. Did not recent experience afford us examples, it would be utterly incredible that men should ever go to such lengths of wickedness, of audacity, and of fury as we have witnessed, and should rush wildly into the excesses of fire and blood whilst insulting the name of liberty with their lips. If Italy has not so far been subjected to such horrors, it is, first of all, the effect of the singular mercy of God, and it is owing, secondly, to the fact that the large majority of Italians are still earnest Catholics, and so beyond the power of these pernicious teachings. But, once the safeguard of religion broken down, Italy would suffer as other great peoples have suffered. Similar doctrine must produce similar effects. Vicious seed must bring forth vicious fruit. Nay, may we not expect that our Italian race will have to pay still more dearly for treason to its religion, since we shall not only be impious and perfidious, but ungrateful as well. It is not by chance, nor by the disposition of man, that Italy has entered from the very earliest times into the inheritance of the salvation of Jesus Christ has been privileged to possess in its midst the chair of St. Peter, and has, for so many ages, enjoyed the advantages and divine blessings which result from Catholicism. Well, therefore, may she dread the fate with which the Apostle Paul has threatened ungrateful nations. The earth that drinketh in the rain, that cometh often upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, useful for them by whom it is tilled, receiveth blessing from God, but that which bringeth forth thorns and briars is rejected and very near to a curse, whose end is to be burned. Letter to the Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. May God avert such a fate. Let every man seriously consider the dangers, both actual dangers, and those which are threatened in the near future, by those who have sworn enmity to the church, and who live and work, not for the common good, but for the sects. Were they wise, were they in any sense patriotic, they would never distrust the church or attempt to cast doubt on her and diminish her freedom. They would, on the contrary, defend and help her, and their first business would be to see that the Roman pontiff was restored to his just rights. For the present contest with the apostolic see is as injurious to the safety of Italy as it is hurtful to the church herself. We have declared our views on this head elsewhere. Italy cannot flourish or remain long in peace unless provision be made, as law and justice demand, for the dignity of the Holy See and the liberty of the sovereign pontiff. Therefore, having nothing more truly at heart than the safety of Christianity, and moved by the present critical state of Italy, we exhort you, venerable brothers, more earnestly than ever, to take anxious and charitable counsel with us how to find a remedy for so much evil. And, first of all, with the greatest possible care, teach your people how great a treasure is the Catholic faith, and how necessary it is to preserve it jealously. And since the enemies of Catholicism, 
in order the more easily to deceive the unwary, not unfrequently profess one thing whilst they are doing another, it is most essential to show up their secret purposes, so that our Catholic people may understand what they are really aiming at, and thus be stirred up to defend, with all their strength, the Church and the Roman Pontiff, that is to say, those matters on which their salvation depends. Hitherto, many Catholics, whether through not knowing how to act, or through not appreciating the danger, have seemed slow to act and unwilling to work. Now that we know by experience how things are situated, nothing could be more fatal than to sit idly by whilst evil men are working their will, and to leave the stage clear for them to do their worst on Christianity. They are wiser than the children of light, and they have not been timid. Fewer in numbers, but stronger in ability, and in wealth, they have required but a short time to do much harm amongst us. Let all who love Catholicism understand that it is now time to attempt something. It is not a time for remissness or sloth. None are more quickly beaten than those who live in careless security. Our noble and vigorous forefathers feared nothing, and it is through their faith and their sufferings that the Catholic faith has spread and prospered. Venerable brothers, stir up the sluggards, urge on the hesitating. By your example and your authority, stimulate one and all to be faithful to every duty which their profession as Christians imposes upon them. In order to keep up the courageous activity of your flocks, there are few methods better than the encouragement of those societies or unions whose object is to promote and stimulate the faith and other Christian virtues. Do your best, therefore, that such associations may grow in number, in unanimity and in efficiency. Associations of the young, societies of working men, unions for holding Catholic congresses, charitable organisations, societies for the better observance of festivals and for catechising poor children, and many others of a similar nature. And since it is most essential to the interests of Christianity that the Roman pontiff should be free, both in reality and in appearance, from all danger, molestation and hindrance in the government of the Church, such associations should never cease, by action, by entreaty and by argument, as far as they legally can, to uphold the cause of the Pope, and should never rest until we have restored to us, not in appearance but in reality, that liberty with which are bound up in essential connection not only the interests of the Church, but also the prosperity of Italy and the tranquillity of Christendom. In the next place, it is of the utmost importance to spread good literature. The deadly enemies of the Church are using literature as their most effective weapon of attack. Hence the flood of detestable books and the innumerable corrupting and turbulent periodicals, which neither law nor decency is able to keep within bounds. Recent acts of rebellion and mob violence are justified and defended. Truth is kept back, or distorted. The Church and the Sovereign Pontiff are the daily object of revilings and false accusations, and no opinion is too absurd or too pernicious to be scattered broadcast over the world. A remedy must be found for an evil which is growing daily worse and worse. The people must be most seriously and weightily warned to be on their guard 
and to exercise a religious carefulness in what they read. Moreover, literature must be met by literature. The art which destroys must be made to save. The antidote must be found where the poison is. For this purpose, it were to be desired that, in every province at least, there should be established journals or periodicals to appear daily, if possible, with the object of impressing upon the people their duty towards the church. More especially should be placed before them the enormous benefits which Catholicism brings to every nation, how it always promotes the prosperity and safety of states and of individuals, and how important it is that the church should be restored to that position in the state which her divine greatness and the general good imperatively demand. Catholic writers, therefore, must bear in mind many things. Their aim and object must be one and the same. They must settle definitely what to aim at, and execute their purpose. They must be well informed on all that may be useful for them to know. They must censure vice and error, but without flippancy or extravagance, without bitterness and without personalities. Their style must be clear and straightforward, easy to be understood by the people. Catholics who do not write, but who sincerely wish to see the triumph in sacred and civil matters of those principles which Catholic writers uphold, should promote Catholic literature by their liberality, each one in proportion to his means. Such assistance is essential to those who write, and without it their success will be slight and uncertain, and perhaps altogether null. And if our Christian people have to suffer inconvenience in acting thus, or to fight for the right, let them not shrink. Labour and annoyance are never incurred in a better cause than in defending religion from the assaults of evil men. The church hath not begotten or brought up children to see them fail her in the hour of her need. She justly expects that their own ease and their private interests should be of no weight in comparison with the salvation of souls and the well-being of Christianity. But your grand concern, venerable brothers, ought to be the selection of fit and proper ministers of Almighty God. If it is the duty of a bishop to bestow the greatest care on the education of every class of the young, much more must he watch over the preparation of ecclesiastical students, whose youth is the Church's hope, and who are, one day, to share in the most sacred of all offices and duties. There are the gravest reasons at all times why the virtues of a priest should be many and conspicuous, but never more so than at present. The defence of the faith, which is a priest's special concern, and which is so specially necessary just now, requires no ordinary learning, but learning that is exact and various, learning which embraces not only divinity proper, but philosophy, physics, and history. The falsehood we have to eradicate is many-sided, and the whole foundation of Christianity is attacked. We have not seldom to contend with adversaries who are skilful at all points, who are obstinate in argument, and who skilfully avail themselves of assistance from science of every description. And as with knowledge, so with virtue. The priest's virtues ought to be as marked and as impregnable as corruption is deep and widely spread. He cannot escape from the company of men. Nay, his sacred office makes it a duty for him to seek men out and live among them, and that even in places 
where every passion is indulged unchecked. Wherefore, the virtue of the clergy in these times ought to be strong enough to stand by itself and to triumph over all the temptations of passion as well as all the dangers of example. Moreover, the recent persecuting legislation has diminished the numbers of the clergy, and therefore those who by God's blessing are in holy orders must redouble their assiduity and make up by zeal and devotion for the fewness of their numbers. This they cannot do unless they are resolute, self-denying, blameless, burning with charity, and ever ready to sacrifice themselves for the salvation of souls. Their preparation for their holy office must be long and careful. Such high duties are not easily learned. The best, the holiest priests will be those who have been trained to the priesthood from their earliest years, and who have so practised the virtues of a priest as to have made them their second nature. For these reasons, venerable brothers, the seminaries justly challenge your greatest energy, thoughtfulness and vigilance. Your own wisdom will readily suggest to you by what course of education the young clerics should be trained to virtue. We ourselves have pointed out, in our encyclical letter, Attorney Patris, how their studies should be carried on. But at the present day, innumerable useful discoveries are being made which should not be overlooked, the more so since evil men are ready to make use of every fresh advance of science as a resource against divine revelation. Therefore, venerable brothers, make it a duty to see that church students be not only instructed in natural science, but also thoroughly grounded in all that concerns the interpretation and the authority of Holy Scripture. A complete course of studies embraces many branches, and in Italy such a course is made very difficult to the seminaries by the interference of the law. But here again have we a right to look to Catholic munificence. Those who have gone before us provided piously and nobly for such necessities, and by prudence and economy the Church was able to educate her clergy without appealing to the charity of her children. But that sacred and rightful patrimony, which had been spared by many a spoiler, has been taken away from her in the troubles which have fallen on our days. Those who love their religion, therefore, must now emulate the generosity of their forefathers. In France and in Belgium, where similar circumstances have occurred, we find examples of munificence, which posterity will admire as we admire. We do not doubt that Italians, when they see clearly how matters stand, will prove themselves worthy of their fathers and equal to the example of their brother Catholics. We have much hope and consolation in all these considerations, but in every undertaking, and most especially in those which concern the common good, human means must be reinforced by the assistance of God Almighty, in whose power is both the will of man and the fate of empires. Wherefore, let prayer be made to God, that he may deign to look down on this Italy, which he has favoured in so many ways, and that he may guard from all dangers and doubts her Catholic faith, the best of all her treasures. For this end, let the Holy and Immaculate Virgin, the August Mother of God, the promoter of good counsel, be invoked, together with her most holy spouse, St. Joseph, guardian and patron of Christian peoples. With equal devotion, let us pray to the great apostles, Peter and Paul, 
that they keep and protect in Italy the fruit of their labour and the Catholic faith which they purchased for our forefathers with their blood, and may transmit it safe and inviolate to our latest posterity. Relying on these heavenly protectors, we lovingly impart, venerable brothers, the apostolic benediction as an omen of God's blessing and a proof of our own love to each one of you and to the flocks committed to your charge. Dated February the 15th, 1882. End of encyclical letter, Etsy Nos, on conditions in Italy, by Pope Leo the Thirteenth.